Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Sometimes, just sometimes, the truth is far more disturbing than fiction. Welcome to Tall Tales. I'm your host, Philip Ellis, and this week's episode is inspired by a truly dark chapter of local history. Stay tuned after the show to hear the true story of an unsolved crime and the urban legend that it spawned. This is Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm by Helen Gray. people would venture into Witchbury Woods, even in the daytime. The copse was so dense that it held a creepy gloom even during the brightest of summer days. The whole of Witchbury Hill had an eerie feel about it, and was thick with local legend, with stories of witches and devil worshippers. Many locals said they saw ghosts around the Iron Age Hill Fort at dusk. Some even claimed to have seen whole Roman armies marching across the fields towards the hill. More recently, the place had come to the attention of UFO hunters, after strange lights had been seen dancing around the treetops. When he had been a boy, Antony had been part of a group that would occasionally dare each other to enter the woods. Nothing bad had ever happened except that they had scared each other senseless. The last time he had been there was when he was a teenager. He and some friends had bravely taken their cans of lager and a few spliffs and managed to make a good night of it despite their fear. He couldn't understand then why the place should be entering his dream so often, twenty years later. Several nights a week, the same dream. It was the thick of night. He was in the copse lit by moonlight, and he came across a rabbit in a snare. The rabbit was crying out in pain, and so he took a stick and hit it until its skull was smashed in. He would wake from the dream sweating, his heart pounding. His disturbed sleep was making him feel like hell. He felt disconnected from everything around him, like he was watching the day happen through a dirty window. It crossed his mind that he might be ill, but mostly he thought that if he could just get a good night's sleep, he'd be okay again. As he walked into work one morning feeling exhausted, the woman on reception ignored him, pretending to be on a phone call. Eventually, he had to reach across the desk himself to get his own post. He told himself that she was just having a bad day, nothing personal. But when he reached his floor, he found the unfriendliness had spread through most of his co-workers. 
No one returned his morning greetings. He could think of nothing he had done between now and yesterday to offend so many people. Only the office temp, Debbie, managed a weak smile as she came over to put some files on his desk. He lost himself in his morning's work and forgot all about this strangeness, until lunchtime, when he went into the storeroom to take the customary can of soup out of his locker. Immediately, he thought he had opened the wrong locker. He shut it again and checked the location. Top row, third from the left. That's right. And anyway, his key worked in the lock. He opened the door again and stared. There was an empty vodka bottle standing right there in front of him, and a photo from a porn mag pinned to the inside of his locker door. Other than that, the things in the locker were his. He looked about him, as if he might spot someone hiding behind a filing cabinet, watching him, but no one was in the room with him. He looked back into the locker. He didn't drink alcohol anymore, never mind vodka, and the image was disturbingly explicit. He tore it down with disgust and threw it, crumpled, into the bin. As a woman he recognised from accounts came in, he grabbed his soup and shut the locker door, hurrying out lest she suspect a connection between him and the disgusting picture in the bin. As he walked back across the office floor to the kitchenette, he studied his colleagues. One of them must have put those things there as a prank. But why? When he got back to his desk after lunch, Someone had pinned a post-it to his computer screen which read, Who put Bella in the witch elm? It meant nothing to him. He didn't even know a Bella. He looked around to see if any of his colleagues was going to own up to having put the note there. He even asked a few about the note, but no one would answer him. That night, walking across the car park, he sensed he was being watched. He looked about him, but it was already getting dark, and the lights were dim. He couldn't see anyone. When he got into his car, it smelt overpoweringly of cigarette smoke. He didn't smoke, hadn't for years. Then he realised with a start that there was someone in the car next to his. She sat at the steering wheel, windows open, smoking, staring at him. It was that woman from accounts again, her long, blonde hair making her easily recognisable. She smiled and winked at him, but he just turned the key in the ignition and drove off. It was the thick of night. He was in the copse lit by moonlight, and he came across a rabbit in a snare. The rabbit was crying out in pain, and so he took a stick and hit it until its skull was smashed in. He woke sweating, his heart pounding. He reached over and switched on his bedside lamp, then sat up and wiped the sleep from his eyes. This was killing him, this disturbing dream, this broken sleep. He got up and went to the kitchen to have a glass of water. 
When his heart rate had returned to normal, he picked up his briefcase and took it back to bed with him. Perhaps he could get some work done. But when he opened the case, porn mags fell out. Exhausted and confused, he sat and wept. Driving to work the next day, he took the usual busy A road. As he approached a bridge that he had driven under hundreds of times before, he noticed some new spray paint graffiti across it. Who put Bella in the witch elm? Sweat itched his forehead. He had hoped that yesterday's pranks were just the imagination of a tired mind, but the same message on this bridge as had been left on a post-it note for him yesterday. That was a lot of trouble for someone to go to. His tormentor meant business. Or maybe, he said to himself, trying to soothe his panicked mind, maybe he just hadn't noticed the writing on the bridge before, and the person who left the note yesterday knew he drove under this bridge, and they just wanted to freak him out. Yes, that must be it. Yet... That was hardly comforting. At work, the same unfriendliness. His morning was constantly disturbed by his phone ringing, but it only produced clicks and burrs when he answered it. Then at lunchtime, when he went to his locker, the vodka bottle still there, and the exact same photo as yesterday stuck to the locker door. Not crumpled up, but perfectly untouched. He left the can of soup and headed to his boss's office. When he related to his manager the violations of the last two days, someone breaking into his locker, leaving strange notes, putting things in his briefcase, his boss listened carefully and then burst out laughing. Is this you being funny again, Tony? I can never tell. I'm not joking, this is serious, he said. And if HR don't take this seriously, then I will be going to the police. His boss suddenly seemed to find things less funny. All right, all right, he said. Just keep a lookout and let me know if you suspect anyone. I can't do anything if I don't know who it is, can I? Is this why you've been looking like shit lately? I didn't realise I did look like shit, he said. Let me know if you need some time off. I'm fine. Let me know, his boss said, and gave him a conspiratorial wink. Antony began to feel his frustration getting out of control, and he didn't want to lose it with his boss, much as he had always despised the idiot. He thanked him for his time and left the office. When he got back to his desk, there was another post-it note, stuck to his computer screen. Who put Bella in the witch elm? Who left this? He shouted across the office. Come on! Which one of you morons is playing games? People looked up. Some stared. But no one was interested in speaking to him. He marched over to Debbie's desk, the temp, the only person who was not treating him like dirt and impatiently asked to see her in the hall. She followed him out of the door obediently, 
looking worried. What's going on? he asked. What do you mean? she asked in return, her voice a little shaky. This, he said, shoving the post-it note in her face. Come on, someone is messing me about, and I'm asking you, as your boss, what's going on? I never said a word, she said desperately. Never said a word about what? About that night, she said. It's okay, I haven't told anyone, honest. Look, I really want to work here permanently. I really need the money. It's fine. What night are you talking about? Debbie looked at him incredulously for a moment. The party, she replied. Brian's party. You were... Brian's party. I was only there for five minutes. I can't stand the guy. She looked confused and didn't know what to say. Hang on, he said. Hang on. You're part of this too. This messing me about. You're trying to say that I tried it on. She began to protest. Why? he demanded. Why are you doing this to me? Suddenly, a group of people came through the door, joking and chatting. It was someone's birthday. They were off for a pub lunch. While they stood waiting for the lift to arrive, Anthony whispered to Debbie, Please, whatever happened at the party, you've got it all wrong. Something's going on here. Something weird. She nodded. Yes, she said slowly. Maybe. The lift had come and people were piling into it. He watched, waiting for them to go before he said any more. Just at the moment the lift began to close, he noticed that woman again, with the long blonde hair, staring at him, smiling at him, laughing almost. Then, in the split second before the door shut, she held up a vodka bottle. He sprang to push the button on the lift. Wait! he shouted. Wait! You! But the doors closed. He left Debbie standing there, crashed through the stairwell doors and flung himself down the stairs. He didn't know what this was about, but he wasn't the type of man to avoid confrontation. As he raced downwards, he searched his memory for what he might have done to this woman to make her start this campaign against him. Brian's party? She was there. He didn't remember speaking to her or having anything to do with her, but she was there, he remembered now. Her yellow hair in braids and that short dress. But he could remember nothing that would make her have it in for him. He reached the bottom of the stairwell, punched the button to release the door and stumbled out into the car park. There was the group, making their way to the gates. He was out of breath now, he couldn't run anymore. Excuse me, he shouted. Excuse me! No one turned around. They were all walking off, ignoring him, laughing about him. He watched, then turned and threw up against the wall. He went to see his boss to tell him of his suspicions, but his boss wasn't in, so he left for the day because he felt so ill. When he got to his car, there was the vodka bottle lying on the passenger seat. During the drive home, the same question, but now sprayed on the opposite side of the bridge, and when he got inside his flat, a text message from an unknown number. 
Who put Bella in the witch elm? He threw his phone across the room, fell against the door and onto the floor, crying. He was so tired. Tired, confused and sick. It was the thick of night. He was in the copse lit by moonlight and he came across a rabbit in a snare. The rabbit was crying out in pain and so he took a stick and hit it until its skull was smashed in. He woke sweating, his heart pounding. He woke up in the same place he had collapsed when he had come home from work. He got up, snatched up his car keys and left the flat again. He was going to the police. He was going to report this harassment to the police. A vodka bottle outside his flat. He threw it onto the pavement and it smashed into shards that scattered across the road like diamonds in the moonlight. He drove wildly through the abandoned streets of the town. He didn't know what the police could do, but he would get their advice. Then he would scare his boss shitless with it in the morning. Then he would get that woman sacked. It began to dawn on him that he didn't know where he was. He pulled over. He was in the countryside, up a hill. How did he get here? Across the road he saw a parked car. A man and a woman were getting out of it. He recognised the woman instantly. It was her, the woman from accounts. Long blonde hair, short dress. The man threw something, a bottle, into the bushes, and they headed together into a thick copse of trees. They were laughing, staggering about drunkenly. Antony got out of his car and called to them, but they disappeared into the woods. It was the thick of night. He was in the copse lit by moonlight. He heard the couple up ahead laughing still. Then suddenly she screamed and the laughing stopped. She was sitting on the ground, nursing what looked like a twisted ankle. He kneeled by her, giggling. Then suddenly he lunged on top of her, licking and sucking at her face. No, she said, no! But she was trapped under him, unable to get him off. No, she said louder as he began fumbling under her clothes. No, she was screaming. No, 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 stop! He began trying to force himself on her, but she wouldn't stop screaming. Even though he was trying to push his fist into her mouth, shut up. Shut up, Bella. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Until he took up a large stone and bashed at her head until her skull was smashed in and the screaming stopped. He woke with a start, sweating, his heart pounding. But he wasn't in his bed. He was in the woods. The moonlight shining down through the trees so brightly it almost blinded him. He stood up, kicking the vodka bottle at his feet. He fell back against something and turned to see the dead witch elm tree. No, he cried. No, please, God, no. He knew why he was here. 
he knew he had to see, to remember. He wiped his face with his hands, then clumsily scrambled to see inside the hollow trunk. There lay Bella, where he had hidden her the night of the party, somewhat decomposed now, her eyeballs eaten, her jaw falling grotesquely away from her face, her long blonde hair looking white in the moonlight. He knew who would put Bella in the witch elm. Should you ever find yourself travelling out of Birmingham on the A456, you'll spot on the horizon an obelisk standing on Witchbury Hill. It was commissioned over 200 years ago by Sir Richard Littleton, who lived at nearby Hagley Hall, home to the Viscounts of Cobham. Over the last seven decades, the obelisk has been periodically defaced with the phrase, Who put Bella in the Witch Elm? This refers to a rather gruesome episode in local history, In 1943, the body of a woman was found in the trunk of a witch elm tree in Hagley Wood. Four boys were poaching on Lord Cobham's land, looking for eggs to supplement the meagre wartime rations. One of the boys, Tommy Willits, scurried up the witch elm and saw what at first he thought to be animal bones inside the hollow trunk. Upon closer inspection, it became evident that he had actually stumbled upon a human skeleton. At first, the boys decided to keep their grim discovery to themselves, afraid they would get into trouble for poaching. Fortunately, Tommy Willits entrusted his parents with the secret. What followed was a police investigation which would take many twists and turns through the years. The woman, whose body had lain hidden in the tree for about 18 months, was never identified. Cause of death was almost certainly foul play. Taffeta was found in her mouth, blocking her airway. She was approximately 35, around 5 feet tall, had given birth at least once, and wore a wedding ring. No local woman of such a description had been reported missing, and even a national dental record search came to nothing. So many people had moved or disappeared during the war. There are two popular explanations for what really happened to Bella. According to one theory, The choice of tree and the fact that one of her hands was severed and buried separately both point to witchcraft. There had long been stories of a coven in Hagley Wood, and many locals believed that the cause of the woman's death could be traced back to black magic. The other theory, based on information sent to a newspaper some ten years after the death, was followed up extensively by police. The informer stated that Bella was Dutch, and had learned of a spy ring that involved a high-ranking British officer who was feeding information to the Nazis via a trapeze artist travelling through Europe with the circus. Despite evidence being uncovered to support these outlandish claims, no arrests were ever made, and just who Bella was, or why she was killed, remains a mystery. So, where did the name Bella come from? This is perhaps the most intriguing part of the whole macabre story. 
Not long after the body was discovered, graffiti started appearing around Birmingham, in chalk, always in the same neat handwriting, asking, Who put Bella in the Witch Elm? Sometimes she was called Hagley Wood Bella, or Witch Elm Bella, but the question was always the same. Although the police made numerous requests, the person who took the trouble to go out at night and write these words never came forward. In the many years since, graffiti asking that same question has appeared across the West Midlands. Somebody doesn't want Bella to be forgotten. Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm was written by Helen Gray and read by Vita Fox. This week's episode was directed by myself and Aidan Meyer and edited by Aidan Meyer. Our theme music is by Swamp Thing. Find out more at swoompthing.com. Listen to all of the stories so far at mixcloud.com forward slash radio. Follow our reader, Vita, on Twitter at VitaTweeter. If you're interested in having your work included in the show, send an email to stories at brumradio.com. I've been your host, Philip Ellis, and you can find me on Twitter at philip underscore ellis. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.